0: But this is also what keeps a brand relevant, it's topicality, and this is also what consumers expect a lot. If you see what's happening a lot, a lot of younger consumers, they don't want to watch a football match anymore, because it takes too long, (laughs) Uh, a lot of things take too long. So they expect that you're fast, that you're quick, and you're instant reacting on things that are happening.
1: This is CMO Talk, the podcast, marketing discussed at the highest level. CMO Talk is sponsored by our valued partner, Adobe.
2: Welcome and thanks for tuning into CMO Talk. My name is Klaas Weimar, I'm a marketer, founder of Agency Energize and podcaster since 2008. In this monthly show, we unravel the secrets of the world's marketing
3: giants. And I'm Adam Fields. I'm a stand-up comedian and occasional podcast sidekick. And I have to admit, I do, I do enjoy a Heineken or two, uh, sometimes more. After I get off stage, never before a show, never before. Today we're going to
2: talk about an iconic brand. We are honoured to have Bram Westerbrink as our guest. Bram is global head of the Heineken brand. And Bram has built an impressive career at the world-famous beer brand, heading up uh, marketing in both Hungary, the Netherlands and Brazil. Uh, Under his leadership, he has brought the main lager brands Heineken, Amstel and Brand back to growth and significantly accelerated the innovation agenda. During his time in Brazil, he made Brazil the Heineken's brand's fastest-growing
3: and largest operating company. Impressive indeed. Now he oversees the original Dutch beer brand on a worldwide scale... Heineken has been in existence for over 150 years and is still one of the most valued beer brands in the world. Today in CMO Talk, we will talk about brand relevance. Why is it important to focus on brand relevance? What does it even mean in practice and how does it pay off? You'll hear all about it in today's CMO Talk podcast episode. It's Pram. Welcome to the studio.
2: Thank you. According to um, Interbrand Best Global Brand, Heineken is ranked the third most popular brand in the world. Do you uh, have a faintest idea who's number
3: one and two? Hmm, who could that be?
0: Well, great to start with the question about my
3: competition.
0: But uh, okay, I think it will be uh, Budweiser and Corona. Uh that passed are number, the test. <laughs> yeah, that are number one or two. Uh-huh. Uh,
2: do you fancy to be number
0: one? Yes, and we will be. Uh, If you look at these studies, that's a bold statement. Here (laughs) we go. go. If you look at the statements, uh, this is Interbrand. We look at uh, uh, Kantar Brand Value Mm. Creator, and what you see is in the in the methodology they use, America and China are really important and really big in creating the value, and we are relatively small there Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. in those markets. So that's why we're not yet at number one. But if you, for instance, look at uh, the Kantar uh, Brand Value. Uh, one, we have been growing 16% in the last two years. And that's why I expect that we will be number one. I don't know exactly if it's going to be next year or the year after, but for sure that's our ambition. Oh, but, right.
2: but that's it. And how, how, how is that measured brand value? Is it terms on, uh, is it the formula based on revenue? Or yeah, it's much,
0: it's, yeah, it's much more on revenue hmm. and growth of revenue. It's a little bit less from the equity side of the brand. They also yeah. put it into the equation, but that's why big markets. If you look at the biggest beer markets in the world, America and China are really important. So If you're relatively small in the two biggest ones, uh, you need some catching up to do. And that's what we're doing.
3: So there's room for growth, basically.
0: Always. Yeah.
2: Always. I was wondering, what does it take to be the number one? Because you fancy to be the number one, obviously. Heineken is an ambitious friend, and I know you're an ambitious guy, Uh, also based on your impressive career. Yeah, so how are you going to get there? How are you going to get there?
0: Well, what we really believe is that. Nowadays, more than ever, it's about being a meaningful brand. So if you look at our ambition, we have a very strong growth ambition on volume. Mm -hmm. I will not say exactly how big it is, but we want to reach that by becoming the most meaningful brand for young consumers. Uh, So that's what we really believe in. So it's about focusing on consumers, understanding their needs and being extremely relevant for them as a beer brand. And we believe if we are the most meaningful beer brand for young consumers, automatically, Will become the most important one in volume and revenue as well. When you say young consumers, how young are we? Always thinking? eighteen plus. Oh, okay, yeah. Just we will never the age eight, a right? Responsible no, brand, a it's responsible good.
3: brand. Uh, okay. So
0: younger consumers. Now we mm. will never focus uh, uh, on, on consumers younger than eighteen um but you see their generations are changing but in
3: America you can't drink till you're 21 so yeah so it's depending
0: on the legal drinking age in the in the market that we uh, that we focus on a lot of countries it's 18 but you're right in the US it's uh, it's 21 um but it's about not going for the consumers that are 50, 60 years old, mm-hmm. uh, but from legal in- drinking age. And then we also look a lot at generations. What's the difference shifts from generation, uh, uh, from the millennials to generation Z? What are the changes that we see in those generations? Mm-hmm. So that's why we...
3: Uh, Is we there no something. point in targeting older people? They, they set in their ways. They, like, they drink a certain beer all their life and they're never going to change brand. Is that, is that an issue?
0: No, I think you should uh, should always uh, look uh, at the total scope. Uh, but in, very, in a lot of markets, we work with a portfolio. Uh, we have globally more than 300 brands. So we have different brands approaching different uh, consumer groups. And we have a big difference in what we call a volume target group. So we, we expect that we'll buy our brand and what we call the marketing target group. And the marketing mm. target group is the one you focus on because you want to keep Growing your penetration, you want to stay relevant, and the volume target group is what you expect the consumers to buy. So we do respect uh, our older consumers 100% mm. uh, as as well, but it's not where we are targeting our marketing efforts on. And for our listeners,
2: Bram, um, do you oversee all those 300 brands as um, direct? No,
0: or, oh, so, so Heineken, I'm only responsible for the Heineken brand. which is obviously uh, the, the biggest. World. Uh, oh. And that's uh, that's 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 more than 170 countries that we mm. are in, and. in in more than 80 uh, countries, we have our own operation. And I work with the teams in these markets uh, to assure the the Heineken brand stays healthy and grows around the world. And how big
2: is the Heineken brand in terms of revenue, if you consider uh, all the other
0: 300 brands? It, it so takes the you, it's the it's uh, it's more than a third of the profit of the company, okay. uh, yeah. uh, roughly, and it's uh, and it's also a big part of the of the revenue. Yeah, I would like to go one step back because you've been in Brazil,
2: as we just mentioned in the uh, in the introduction. You're back uh, since two years, so you landed uh, back in the Netherlands uh, in the middle of COVID. <laughs> you just mentioned. Um, uh, can, can you explain a little bit about the differences uh, from your previous job overseeing a local market, uh, either small like the Netherlands and big Brazil and now overseeing a global market?
0: Yeah, it's a really big difference uh, if you are in a market uh, and especially if it's not your home market. So when I was marketing director in Hungary or when I was marketing director in Brazil, it's about understanding the market, the dynamics, yeah. the culture. Because if you're working in, in beer, you're always part of the culture of a country because beer habits and drinking habits and eating habits are always really rooted into, into the culture. So you really try to understand the local consumers, the local demographics, the differences in in region, but it's relatively Easy because you have the same set of competitors in the market. You know who are the competitors, the landscape you're operating in, and uh, you know the dynamics. The moment that you move through a global role, it's much harder Mm. because on the one hand, you want to be a global, consistent uh, Brand around the world. On the other hand, you want to stay also locally relevant. So, how do you balance the differences in culture around the world, the difference the role the category plays, the differences that consumers react to communication? There's a big difference how one country or one society reacts to communication to others. So, that's the hard part. How how do you do that? (laughs) Exactly,
3: you asked the question. Now you have to answer it. How do you do that?
0: Well, I think what is really important, I'm a big believer in, uh, in teamwork and corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one global agency around the world. Uh, so we have a very strong relationship with our global agency partner. And the second thing, of course, we have very strong teams in the ground around the world. Uh, we have, that's why we still have in all the markets uh, real operating companies uh, in, in most of them because mm-hmm. we be, believe to be close to the market in the local trends. So it's about really listening and also deciding where do we flex and where do we say really global. Yeah. And that's why the mantra we have is localize at scale. And what do we mean with that? Mm. That we don't localize market by market, because that's not uh, uh, worth it as a global brand that you become too local. But where can you localize at skill? What are the things that you say, "Hey, this is big and important enough. This is the part we, uh, we, we localize, and this is what we try to try to do. Okay. And how do you get all those insights from the markets and
2: uh, it, it dribbles back to you. Is it, is it like uh, a big hierarchy? Or is it? Uh, do you have like town halls? How do you how do you get all the insights? Well, from we the have markets?
0: different things because yeah. that's always the question. How do you yeah. stay? How do you keep your feeling with uh, exactly. with what's happening on the agency side? So yeah. Le Pub has what we call a data lab, mm-hmm. and in the data lab we capture a lot of the global data around the world, social listening, cultural and sociologically. But then you have all the data, and there mm-hmm. we have what we call data translators. And the data translators, they look at all this data that's coming in and they try to translate that in global universal insights. Mm -hmm. So what do we see that's happening around the world that's relevant not in one country, but it has a global relevance. So in more than regions, that's what's happening on the agency side. (laughs) If you look at our teams, I have people... In my team that oversee a region and they're basically in a weekly contact with markets. So they really know and they also travel a lot uh, uh, to the market. So that's how they get uh, uh, information. Then on the bigger markets, I have direct uh, uh, interaction as well. And um, now in a global role, I realize there are a lot of markets I don't know yet Mm. and now covid is gone we can start traveling again and in our business you need to walk the streets you cannot understand the market you cannot understand the consumers you cannot understand our customers or our route to market if you haven't been there if you haven't been into the bars into the supermarkets if you haven't had a conversation with your wholesalers with your customers so that's what i also do uh, when i go on visits i really try to, to boot to the everyone. yeah,
2: yeah. For maintaining the brand image, we—I'm we, going to talk a little bit about the competition. Um, Budweiser relies strongly on their Super Bowl commercials, right? What about Heineken's brand image? What comes to consumers' mind if they think about Heineken, and what would you like uh, them to think?
0: I wish it would be one word. Then we did a very good job <laughs> in consistency—beer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but of course, it—it uh, it differs a little bit how um, how people talk about your brand uh, depending in the market, because. How long we are in a market differs a lot. If you take this country, the Netherlands, we are here 150 years. Mm. Uh, If you look at other markets, we're maybe around for three, four, five years. So what we have developed is what we call for Heineken is a brand stage model. And this is how we segment in each market in which stage we are of our brand development. Mm. You can imagine it starts with Anchor. Then you can go to Build, Grow, Star, Superstar. So these are the things. And based on the stage, we hope that consumers get a feeling of our brand. But what we always like to see back, and when we do a good job, this is what we see back. It's about inventiveness. It's about... Worldliness, internationalism, and what is really important—and especially now—it's about open-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And those are the three themes that we always check, and we hope to see back according uh, to the to the stage we are in in the in the brand building stage model.
2: Nice. Let's talk a little bit about brand relevance, uh, Adam. How, how how do you keep the brand relevant? Do you have do you have a secret?
0: <laughs> well, uh, I don't know if there is a secret, uh, but I do think uh, it's, it's not really a secret. It's rel- relatively logic. It is really understanding what's going on in consumers' lives and mm. their needs. But for us, relevance has to do with a few things. Um, Because what does relevance mean? Mm -hmm. In in our language, it means that you're meaningful to a consumer. You're interesting to a consumer. A consumer can relate to you. Uh, So it's a lot about, on the one hand, having the right message at the right time to the right consumer. Uh, But on the other hand, also to have uh, a point of view. Uh, in, in about topics so the consumer yeah. can say I relate to yeah. the point of view to the brand and the other thing that's really important to us it goes back to the history uh, where our, where Mr. Heineke already infused that in a brand is what we call topicality hmm. so if something happens in the news we expect that Heineke with a witty uh, uh, point of view does something with that point of view can you give an example? yes well if you go back to uh, Mr. Heineke and I still love it He would drive from his house in Noordwijk to the head office here in Amsterdam. And in the back of his car, he would be reading the newspaper. Mm -hmm. And if he saw topics in the newspaper that he said, I think Heineken should have a point around it, he would put a big mark around it. And then in the office, he had the agency sitting next to his office because he was a real uh, uh, creative owner. He was uh, a marketeer. Uh, right? He was a real marketeer. He's 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 basically under his leadership, we really had the growth, uh, and we discovered marketing as a as a company. Um, he would go to the agency and he would say, "Look, about this topic and this topic and this topic, I believe uh, we should have a point of view as a brand." Wow. And then the next morning, there would be a newspaper ad. At the time, it was a newspaper ad on that topic. Wow. What we do tried.
3: Do you do that now?
0: <laughs> well, not newspaper <laughs> ads, but what we do has now, this data room, right? <laughs> <laughs> what we try to do now is always have uh, very often a social post. Uh-huh. And I think one of the more famous ones was when uh, there was the discussion about the Champions League uh, uh, going on uh, uh, and, uh, and and the super league etc. and that we said, okay, let's let's have a point of view. And we said with the post, don't drink and start a league. Uh, and we have a lot of these that we do. Sometimes it's one locally in a market. So we see that the market, there's something happening there and some it's on a global scale. But this is also what, what keeps a brand relevant. It's yeah. topicality. And this is also what consumers expect a lot. If you see what's happening a lot, a lot of younger consumers, they don't want to watch a football match anymore because it takes too long, <laughs> uh, a lot of things take too long. So they expect yeah. that you're fast, instant. that you're quick, and you're instant reacting on things that are happening. And that's harder on a global scale, I can say, yes. than on a local w- one. Would you say that
2: that Heineken is, um, yeah, uh, is in favor of of brand activism? Should uh, more brands be more outspoken and, and take a stand, also in 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 terms of public opinion and topics that matter? Uh,
0: yes and no. I do believe brands should be vocal uh, about topics that are really related to their DNA or what they stand for. They shouldn't use brand activism uh, uh, to jump on a trend or try to get uh, uh, attention. And this is always the hard line. So for me, it's always really important. Are we credible to talk about this uh, topic. Yeah. Can we do it in an ownable way uh, that's consistent with uh, with who we are? And if it hits those boxes, then I think it's, yeah. it's a good thing to have a point of view. If it's jumping on something to look good or to get attention, then I think it's the mm. wrong thing. It's always like those sensitive mm. subjects, like a lot of... Brands took a
2: stand uh, regarding the war in Ukraine, for example. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, that there's, of course, a lot of tension, right? If you, uh, I, I think Heineken also closed many breweries in Russia. I'm not going to go too much into politics. But uh, did, you, did you, as a brand, take a stand regarding those? that That's a, uh, yeah more sensitive topic like war.
0: Yeah, I think, of, I mean, you always have the brand and the company. And in our case, it's hard because they're called the same name, the Heineken brand and the mm. Heineken company. So that's always what we have to look at uh, when it comes to these things like uh, like the war in, uh, in Ukraine. But there we were very clear as a company, we withdrew out of Russia. Mm. Uh, and of course, uh, the Heineken brand uh, was the first to, to do that. But I think it's about two things also. It is, if you, for instance, look at the COVID crisis we have, It's the one thing is about saying things, but the other thing is also about doing things. So what we are saying very much internally, you have to move away from ads to acts. So saying something is always the easier part, but doing something about it is the harder part. And I believe the best thing is if you can have both, if you can have a point of view, but also have an act that supports that point of view yeah. so consumers see that you're not only saying something but you're also doing something and that's what we call ads and acts and we always try to, uh, to balance those two yeah. Can you give an example you mentioned the COVID crisis Yeah I think it was really that's actually how I started getting into this job uh, I was still in uh, in Brazil uh, uh, at the time when it happened and there was a big discussion going on huh? what, is the, what is the point of view uh, of a brand what should we do with it mm. and We saw a lot of brands saying, don't go out, stay at home, stay safe. But what we said, we said we are social network since 1873. And we truly believe human beings need socializing to survive. And that makes us human. Your brain needs socializing as much as your body needs food. So basically what we said during the COVID crisis, we are about socializing responsibly. Socialize responsibly, which was much linked to our brand. So we said, do socialize, but do it in a responsible way. Mm -hmm. That was one part. And then the other part, uh, and and we try to enable consumers to do that. The other part, we said our on-trade partners are really going to a tough crisis now. They are not having people, they are locked down. So we did a lot of activities to support our on-trade partners. And that's what I mean with acts and ads, uh, that we came up with mechanisms to make sure people could reserve already beers up front. Um, We made a new income stream that they could use their shutter ads for advertising. So that's how we try to balance from a very clear point of view, socialize responsibly, but and helping the on-trade and helping the consumers. Responsibly is... uh
2: a broader theme for Heineken is it? You mentioned the Champions League, but also Formula One. Don't drink and drive. Can you tell us a little bit more about the strategy behind that?
0: Yeah. Now, of course, we we operate in a category where it's really important to be responsible. Uh, if you uh, consume our products responsibly, there's not a problem at all, and it's a great thing because it adds uh, a lot of joy to people's life. It brings people together, but. If you don't use it responsibly, there are a lot of negatives. So we were one of the first brands to say enjoy Heineken responsibly is a really important part of our communication uh, already uh, many years ago. Mm. And we have committed to at least 10% of our budget. We spend on campaigns promoting responsible consumption. Mm. And now we have added another dimension to it. We want to reach at least 1 billion consumers every year with this message. And there are different forms. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's about don't drink and drive. Sometimes it's about the morning belongs to to the ones that uh, consume uh, in moderation. So we have different ways how we express uh, uh, enjoy Heineken responsibly. Uh, But it's an extremely important theme for us.
1: Don't want to miss an episode of CMO Talk. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or on cmotalk.global.
3: Well, you've launched uh, many new brand extensions for, for Heineken there. Radler, Heineken, 0.0, Silver, to name but a few. This brings me to the first statement of uh, this podcast. Uh, the secret of keeping a brand relevant and fresh is brand diversification. Would you agree with that? No? No. No. That's in a word, that's very clear. (laughs) No, I think. All right, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Now, why
0: I say no, uh, because there's truth to it, but I believe it's a different order. It starts by saying, hey, I want to understand what are the consumer needs, what is changing on the needs. Um, and then your question is, if you want to grow and you see consumer needs are changing, diversification can be a solution, but it's not the only way uh, to stay relevant. That's why I said uh, said no. But it is an option as a solution once you understand that the needs are changing and you
3: want to grow. Okay, so what what, what were the needs? What, what brought you to obviously 0.0, you're talking about responsible uh, uh, behavior, not not drinking and driving. Um, silver, what, what, what brought you to silver? Tell us yeah. about silver.
0: I, th- I think if you if you look how we always try to keep a brand relevant, we have what we call a green diamond. And we check what is changing in categories, what is changing in the lives of, uh, uh, of our uh, consumers. Um, so the, what we call uh, in the generation or what's changing in what we call zeitgeist. And what we really see uh, especially in Europe in Gen Z consumers always 18 plus that there are two things changing from our perspective one is their taste acceptance so they don't enjoy bitter taste that much hmm. so they have uh, have consumed more sugar than the generations before and because hmm. of that that's uh, their taste palette is uh, focused to less bitter taste. So that's a very clear thing that we saw on the taste side. Uh, and on the other thing what, uh, on the other side what we saw, they like beer, premium beers, but they don't like the premium beer world. Mm. They find mm. the beer world that we portray as premium beers fake with all the beautiful models, the perfect sunsets, etc. So when we launched silver in Europe, we said we want to do two things. We want to have an easier to drink uh, um, beer, less bitter in uh, in taste and on the other hand we also want to tackle a little bit this fake world. It's a big trend that you see in social media a lot yeah. now that people don't want these perfect pictures anymore, but they want mm. the real pictures. But you introduced but silver, silver in
2: the metaverse,
0: talking yes. about fake worlds. <laughs> yes, no. yes. but that, so, that, so, let, so that's mm. why we said we want to be extra fresh for real. Extra fresh on the one hand for the taste, but also extra fresh for real mm. in how we portray things. And the beauty of the metaverse, uh, what we loved about the metaverse, the metaverse is a fantastic Place for people to socialize, but it's absolutely not a great place to have a beer. So I think the, the, what we saw: a lot of brands were jumping on the metaverse. And you can imagine the metaverse is perfect for fashion brands. If yeah. you want to sell more, it's a new revenue stream. It's a great place to give concerts for entertainment because a lot of people can join, etc. But it's a great place to launch a beer, but it's absolutely not a great beer to taste a beer. So we had a, we had invites to the press saying, please come to our Metaverse press release and enjoy lobster, caviar, <laughs> and our beer tasting session. <laughs> so a lot of journalists had no clue uh, what was going on. And then in this press... Uh, I, st- uh, I also have no clue. What's, yeah. what's going on? Tell me. So Tell basically me. we yeah. invited journalists there uh, and they could see the launch of our first virtual beer, Heineken Silver. Um, which is, of course, strange to have a virtual beer in the, in the metaverse. And then we moved from the metaverse in launching it to real life. And we used avatars to do that. And it is to play about what is fake and, and what is real. Right. Coming back uh, to what we saw in the shift in the generation that they say, for us, it's about real Fighting fakeness, and that's why we had this extra fresh for real. So we used the Maca actually as a joke. So yeah. it, was it was a, a big, oh, big joke, a Is it
2: a big global PR campaign, or was it a serious product introduction?
0: No, it was. A, it was. I mean, uh, it was in more than fifteen countries across Europe. Uh, so it was. Uh, it was really big. It was the biggest launch uh, in uh, in beer in Europe. So it was really big, and it was really nice to see the amount of attention it got, but also how the follow-up happened when the avatars were launching on big 3D billboards the, the silver brand for, for real. And we had a lot of fun with the campaign as well, <laughs> to be honest.
2: Well, would you say um, that if you want to be relevant as a brand, we're talking about brand relevance, can you ignore the, the metaverse? You can
0: you, you can always ignore it, but... I think you should never ignore consumers. And if you see that consumers are interested in the metaverse, I think nobody exactly knows, uh, except for fashion brands, when it's a clear uh, revenue stream or concerts, what a role the metaverse is going to play. But what I find extremely interesting is, it's for us a great way for people to socialize all around the world. Imagine if I have a Heineken experience here for real in Amsterdam, more than 1.2 million visitors, but they have to go to Amsterdam, they have to buy a ticket and get into it. If I have that in the metaverse, it's open for everyone around the world. I think that's the beauty of the future of the, of, of the metaverse. It's a way to socialize. And there's a big difference between the current social networks and the metaverse, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. The big difference is if you look at the current social networks, it's very individual, You decide who you invite, you decide who you like, who you don't like, who you comment. It's an individual relationship. The beauty of the metaverse, it's again about socializing. It's again about serendipity. It's again about surprises. Because you can meet people you don't know. In that sense, it's much more like a bar today than the current social networks all
3: right interesting so so i mean the metaverse i can see how it'd, it'd be interesting for you to use it to, to as, as a marketing tool but as a as a stream of income i mean how you you can't sell beers in the metaverse so is, is it a threat even if we're all going to be socializing more in the metaverse than actually in real bars yeah, I think this is a real important uh, thing for us. Uh, we,
0: as a, we as a product and a category are about socializing, people getting together and having a beer. On the other hand, we see big trends like gaming, it's a new way of socializing. A lot of people are socializing through gaming yeah. uh, or the metaverse. So the biggest question is, how do you stay relevant there? Today, you don't buy beers on the metaverse yet, uh, but it is about how do you stay relevant as a brand in these new uh, developments? And we don't know exactly how that's going to play out, the gaming world or the metaverse world, but it is uh, up to us to stay relevant there. So you're just trying to be present at the beginning For of now, now, it? For now, yes. Okay. Uh, like we said, we cannot enjoy a virtual yeah. beer yet uh, together in the, Wh- where, in the where metaverse. Can, where
2: can we find Heineken? In, in which world? Is it in Roblox? Uh, Decentraland at the moment. De-central Decentraland,
0: yeah. Uh, that's also, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, you talked about uh, uh, the age gating. Uh, yeah. Who are the consumers? Nobody exactly knows how the legal... Part of the metaverse exactly. will develop. Yeah. So when choosing our uh, our world where we start the virtual world where we started in, it was really important to understand. Okay, how can we age gate it? So when yeah. you were visiting our virtual space in the, in the Central Land, we had a bouncer in front of it asking you, your, "What <laughs> is your, your age?" To show your idea, just because <laughs> nice. you know it's a different rule. There's different legislation. Yeah. There is yeah. not real legislation yet, yeah. but
3: yeah. you do want to uh, be responsible there as well. Here's a question, would you say Heineken is a disruptive brand? I hope so in beer we are
0: um, because disruptive then in the positive sense of the world, uh, because I think if you um, if you don't stand out, if you don't make people think, if you don't make people smile, if you don't evoke emotions mm. uh, as a brand, you become vanilla ice cream in our category. And what we want to do is we want to be relevant and meaningful. And I think if you're not disruptive, and disruptive sounds really big, but it can also mm-hmm. be smaller, um, then you cannot be meaningful for uh, for consumers. All
2: right. For the Formula One uh, listeners uh, and the, uh, for the Formula One fans, actually, Heineken is really big in Formula One, right? Uh, it, I think it also spurred the, the revenue on the global scale of, of uh, 0.0. It's... It's a great. It has a great taste, and it, it, it's everywhere. It's it's everywhere. Can you tell a little bit about the strategy towards the um, embracing Formula One and and your plans for the future, please? Yeah.
0: yeah, I think today Formula One is really big and exciting. It's growing around the world. We see young consumers uh, finding it interesting, old consumers finding it interesting. It's really broad. But when we entered F one, it was not that logic. Uh, that's a beer brand had a place in F1. And there was also a lot of criticism. Should a beer brand go and sponsor uh, F1? Yeah. Uh, so for us, we had a very clear strategy that we wanted to use this platform to stimulate uh, when you drive, never drink, and when you drink, never drive uh, as a platform. And I think that played out really well. Uh, so that's why you saw we put it on and we we used Heineken Zero Zero in the activation in uh, in F1. Uh, we now also have a campaign with uh, with active drivers yeah. where we have uh, Perez and uh, Ricardo. Uh, where we uh, where we talk about when you feel like a great driver are the moments you shouldn't be driving and you should take a cab home. Uh, so we're really using it for 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 this point of view and uh, and it's really working. Um, I think also F1 is doing a great job. They're really growing and they're really having a focus where they're putting the fans uh, first. And then of course also the Netflix uh, series Drive to Survive also helps mm, yeah. in uh, the attention around F1. In the States yeah. specifically.
2: And yeah, Max, it, as, as a originally
0: a Dutch brand, yeah, of course, <laughs> I I'm, uh, I'm I'm personally a big uh, a big fan of Max uh, being Dutch. That's not a strange thing. Uh, but as a brand, we're not linked to to one of the drivers. we were linked to yes. F1. Yeah. And you said about the states. I was in Miami there at the F1, and you really see also in the states it's uh, it's picking up uh, in a, in a very nice uh, nice way. Uh, I mean, it was something in Austin. Uh, maybe more for what we call, yeah, the motorhead people really interested mm. in motorsports. It was very niche in the U.S., mm. but now you see in Miami what happened. It became entertainment as well.
3: But wh- and, what and is it about? What is it about Formula One that you want to be associated with? What 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 uh, what says? What does Formula One say about about your brand? Well, what I personally really like about F1, and a lot of people didn't realize it
0: that much if you look from from a distance, is it's a problem-solving machine. It's Mm. the place for innovation. If you see what happens with hybrid engines, if you see what they're doing, every year they change the rules. And every year as a team, you have to change again Mm. and be sure you deliver. So it's global, it's premium. And it's an innovation machine. Uh, and I think what they have added to that is a very strong connection with their fans that wasn't there. And the beauty of F1 is, if you look at football, which is, of course, a very big platform, how many players are there? How many teams are there? Mm. It's really hard to, yeah. to yeah. know yeah. what's going on. If you look at F1, it's, it's 22 yeah. uh, uh, guys now. We also have the W series, but uh, that you have to focus on. So I think that makes it a very interesting mm. combination What, did, what did
2: F1 bring to the Heineken brand?
0: Well, I think it brought a lot of um, of awareness and understanding of Heineken Zero Zero. Uh, I think that was the biggest thing. Does it help you get over
3: the stigma? Because it, it, yes. a few years ago, it was like non-alcohol beer. Who, who's going? Yeah, it was, I think it it, seen as not macho enough or whatever. No, you I know. think it's it. Yeah, I, I
0: think it really helped to normalize Heineken Zero Zero as a choice yeah. for consumers. But it also showed it. It really helped mm. us drive trial. Uh, in that respect, yeah, yeah. Well, was was
2: f one a revenue driver for zero zero?
0: well we don't uh, we we don't relate f one as a revenue drive because the amount of sales that happens in f one is the is not the reason why you do. What we do check is uh, what happens with our trial rates and and there is really helped, uh, 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 what happens with awareness of yeah. the of the proposition so indirect for sure, it helped drive uh, drive revenue.
1: Love CMO Talk? Leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We're interested in your opinion and you'll help others find this podcast too. Shall we go to some dilemmas?
3: Yeah, Absolutely. Next, we're going to present you with some uh, several dilemmas, Brum. Uh, quickly pick one of two options. Don't think too much. Best to go with your gut feeling, okay? You ready? Set, go. Okay. New brand or new category? New brand. Okay. To be the first or the best. The best. Premium brand or most popular brand? Premium brand. Metaverse or AI? Metaverse. Profit or growth? Growth. Heineken Lager or Heineken 0.0? Heineken flag. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's... let's Let's uh, focus on on one of those. Which one should we focus on?
0: Let's go for the first one: mm-hmm. brand uh, or, or category? Category, yeah. Um, that was one of the hardest ones for me <laughs> to mm. choose, actually. Mm. Uh, but for me, it is uh, brand, right? because at the end, that's your relationship with the consumer. You can see a new category evolve, or you can create a new category even. But at the end, the way you do that, and the way we have the relationship with the computer, uh, consumer, the way we grow, the way we sell is the brand. So that's why I chose brand over there.
3: Okay, well, what's the future for, for brands? I mean, you've gone into 0.0, is there anything on the horizon um, any Any other new you have, I don't know cherry flavored uh, beer or whatever well I, I, well the second thing after
0: zero zero was of course silver mm-hmm. uh, which we which started actually in uh, in Vietnam mm-hmm. uh, we're still increasing the amount of markets in uh, in APAC. we have now launched it in europe we've just recently launched it in Mexico, so that 's going to be the second uh, growth driver of our brand we 're going to keep on. Uh, seeing which markets we can add to that and how much we can grow uh, in that market. And we have a very interesting uh, uh, innovation funnel uh, that we're looking at uh, uh, new things. Um, and What's coming go- up, Moral? We'll never tell it? that. <laughs> uh, no, but I think what is always the question... Um, When you're such an icon of beer, an icon uh, of lager, how much do you stretch? How far do you stretch? When are you still credible and relevant? Uh, And and how much do you understand the changing uh, needs of consumers? Mm. And when we do something, um, the other question you said, the dilemma is first or the best. We Mm. want to be the best. We were not the first in Zero Zero. Absolutely not. But if you look at the taste we brought, it is uh, still uh, the best tasting zero-zero that's uh, that's out there. So this is also their approach to us. When we see new things, we have to be or the best uh, uh, or in an original way. And this is what we always try to do when we innovate.
2: Nice. I would like to ask you some, uh, some personal questions, Bram. Uh, who or what inspires you most?
0: Um, I really like... Uh, change agent leaders, and what do I mean with that? I'm really inspired by a Steve Jobs, by an Elon Musk, uh, uh, by Patagonia, uh, but also by other leaders. I mean, there are the classics ones from Gandhi to uh, the Pope, etc. I like people that uh, are courageous uh, to dream really big. Uh, and where people say, is this really going to happen? Is this possible? And and then they get there or they nearly get there and, and they get a lot of people along with them in that journey. And that really inspires me.
2: Nice. Do, do you have a big dream for the Heineken brand?
0: Yeah, uh, many. Uh, some, <laughs> well, I or, share, or some I can share. Some Some I can share, some I cannot share. Uh, but... I truly believe that uh, our brand in the future should uh, not only be a beer brand, but should be an
3: entertainment brand. Uh,
0: and I think if we can move towards that, then, uh, uh-huh. then
3: I'll be really happy. Wow. Ah. And, and you've been at Heineken for almost 20 years, haven't you? Pretty much your whole career. Yeah, I've so, what, just what, found out that I'm a lifer. That they call that uh, a, a lifer, <laughs> <laughs> like a
0: murderer. Or a death <laughs> lar- no, yeah, so it doesn't sound very positive. <laughs> but uh, to be honest, I'm no. I'm really happy with it. If you see. Uh, um, it's been a long time. It's been uh, 18 years, but every three years uh, I, I had a great new role uh, again. And, and now I'm uh, in this position doing this great, uh, great job. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. And I also think it's changing a lot. Uh, it's also in in periods. There were periods that uh, working for a big corporate for so long really felt like uh, <laughs> something old school uh, yeah. that you yeah. don't do. But on the other hand, you see a big repressation again of, of those roles uh, now and the possibility there so what do you others, see yourself
3: there st- in another 20 years
0: um, another 20 years not hmm. no but another 10 years yes what, what, what
2: will be your next role
0: <laughs> well there are, I think after this, like I say, yeah. I like to change a lot uh, um, from countries, from positions, from roles. I think after this role, I would like to go back to the markets again. Okay. Uh, so after having seen the global perspective, I would really like to go back to a, to a market and where that is and hmm. how we'll see. But for now, I'm still focused on this. Yeah. So it well, just because COVID just yeah. just stopped in my head. So yeah, for yeah, me, yeah. it really just started. It's open, and the traveling started but, again. But
2: Heineken doesn't have a CMO. Uh, it has a CCO, yeah. but it doesn't have a CMO. Yeah. Um, why is that? Do you have any any clue why why that is?
0: Because we really believe that marketing, sales, and trade marketing should really cooperate together uh, very strongly. Mm-hmm. And by having a chief commercial officer, we have all the commerce in one hand. Mm. And if you think about how commerce is changing, omni-channel, all the digital channels, it really helps because the the boundaries between marketing, trade marketing, shopper marketing, categories, sales, transactions is completely blurring.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. And
0: so sometimes digital platforms are the best place to build a brand and sell a brand at the same time. Um, you also see that secondary and primary data is becoming much more important. Mm. So that's the reason why Heineck has everything under one uh, leadership to assure we can uh, we can align all those different things. Is there anything which which keeps you awake at night? Um, well, most often, if it's things that keep me awake, as much more private things related to kids or problems with kids and schools or stuff like that. So I have three kids. I, got you. <laughs> I have three kids, so there's enough. Uh, there's always something going on uh, with uh, with one of them. Um, So more private-related thing. If it's work-related thing, it's much more uh, stuff I forgot to do. I don't know if you recognize that, but with so many messages coming in and so busy that, oh, I should have replied to that or or this. If you think more from a long-term perspective from our job or our category, it it are a few things that we discussed. uh, What's the future of socializing? If that's going to happen much more digitally, uh, what does that mean for our category? Um, But to be honest, I'm not... Thinking
3: about that at uh, at night at the moment, it's more the first two two areas. Nice. Well, thank you very much. I yeah. think that brings us to the end. So uh, thank you for coming, Bram, yes. and uh, don't forget every all our listeners to drink responsibly. Thank you so much, Bram, for your valuable time
2: and everyone who's listening. Thanks for listening to CMO Talk with Bram Vesterbrink about branding, growth and innovation. And I'd like to hear more about this subject. You can tune in to, uh, episode number 15 with Ian Stewart, CEO of TOMS on brand building or listen to episode number two with Uri Klenke, CMO of T-Mobile on brand equity. Uh, and if you don't want to miss any episode, you can easily subscribe on CMO Talk.Global newsletter and uh, you'll get a notification when news content is coming up. Until the next podcast.
1: Thanks for listening. Please visit cmotalk.global for more interviews. The CMO Talk podcast is developed and directed by Energize. Audio mixing and mastering by voice booking. CMO Talk is sponsored by our valued partner, Adobe.